pray together. Father, we come before you and our hearts are full of joy as we have just sung of your great glories, the glories of the gospel and how we are its recipients, how our hearts are full of gladness that you have taken our sin from us and replaced it with your righteousness, that we are here to not just acknowledge our great need of you, but to celebrate and exult in you because you are worthy. You have given us great joy. You've given us great joy for just, not just now, but for the future, that our hope springs eternal. We have great hope in Jesus Christ. And it is one that is solid. It is one that cannot be taken away from us. And we are thankful for your work. God, we pray that you would help us as we continue to worship you this morning. We pray for other churches as well, Lord. We lift up Fairview Baptist Church here in the county to you, that you would be with them as they gather together and seek to honor and glorify you. We lift up other churches within our network. We think of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church up in Virginia, that you would be with them as they gather together to worship and, and uh, enjoy uh, you. And we pray that you would fill them, Lord, to be used by you uh, in ways um, that may even be surprising to them, Lord, as you open doors for the gospel. Father, we pray for the persecuted church. We think of uh, southern Mexico this morning um, with uh, many drug cartels and and those that are uh, enemies of your gospel. Uh, many believers in southern Mexico have uh, had to shelter um, and even hide uh, their worship services. And while that's here on the North American continent, it's amazing that believers are persecuted. And so we ask that you would give grace to those in southern Mexico, that you would strengthen your churches there, and Lord, that you would help them to stand firm. Father, we lift up unreached people groups uh, around the world. We, uh, this morning, lift up the Gond people of uh, India that are steeped in Hinduism, that are looking to other gods for their salvation and for their hope, and yet uh, they are found empty. And Lord, I pray that your gospel would go uh, to the Gond people, Lord, that uh, your word would be translated into their dialect, and Lord, that you would reach them and redeem them and Father, our hearts break for the unreached. We here are full of joy this morning at we, as we look at your gospel and we can read the Bible in our own language and have been able to do so for over 500 years. And yet there's people that don't have that around the world. Would you be merciful to them, oh God, like you were to us? And so send missionaries to them, Lord. Father, we pray for the wars in various places. We our hearts break for those who are marginalized by war, but also those who have lost loved ones. We pray for the Ukraine and Russia conflict and Israel and Palestine. And, and now what seems to be a, a zone that's heating up is in the Red Sea with Yemen and the Houthis and um, the strikes that have been taking place from the UN uh, in US and, and uh, the UK as they have responded to these attacks. Lord, that you would uh, protect uh, those uh, shipping lanes um, for international trade, that you would uh, show yourself strong and draw many to yourself through uh, this conflict. Father, we pray, too, that you would be with our military in various places, that you would be with military chaplains that seek to minister to those who are serving. Father, we pray for government leaders, from our president and all those uh, in his cabinet and those who are 
um, running uh, in, for office, that you would be with them, give great wisdom to our country. And while we are sometimes tempted to be cynical in an uh, election year, we do know that you rise uh, or raise up leaders, Lord, for your glorious purposes, and um, that nothing can thwart that, that you are in control. And so help us to uh, be good citizens, Father. Help us to uh, pray for this country and its leaders as you've instructed us to do and to um, love people and seek the good of uh, this country. And so we pray for your wisdom there. Father, we pray for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. We continue to lift up those who have lost loved ones during the holiday season. Uh, we lift up the D'Amatos and the Pervets and um, the Holdens and the Morgans. Um, uh, George and Grace Ann, Lord, with the death of Buddy. Uh, Lord, others that have lost extended family, we pray that you'd be with them. God, that you would uh, comfort them in a way that only you can. Father, we pray that you would be um, with the Hefners, Lord, the loss of Brent uh, this last week, and Lord, that you would um, be with Margaret, Lord, as she grieves, and Lord, that you would uh, do good to her soul to uh, encourage her, and so we, we lift these to you, Lord. Father, we pray for our expectant mothers. We think of Whitney and Sarah Foster, um, even the, the Finney's uh, grandbaby, and Liz, Lord, we pray for all of these, Lord, as you form these babies in the womb, Lord, that you would, uh, uh, we, we know from Psalm 139 that you're, you're putting them together, that you did that and have done that for us, but you're doing that with these little children, and Lord, that you would um, help their pregnancies to go healthy, and that there would be safe deliveries and no complications, Lord, we just pray your blessing upon these expectant mothers. We thank you for children, Lord. Father, we pray um, for healing. Uh, we continue to lift up Christina to you, and Dean Mundy and John Cordy and Joe Morris and uh, Lord we pray for Wendy Dot's daughter-in-law Lord as she's been having heart trouble uh, thank you for bringing Ken back to us this morning as he's been uh, battling various ailments Lord thank you for uh, bringing him back to us today that you would continue to heal him and give wisdom to the doctors and all that's going on with him and others in the community like uh, Trudy Hash Lord as she's preparing for surgery uh, in the days ahead which you would be uh, with these, Lord. Father, we pray for those traveling, um, some that have to travel for business and other ministry, Lord, that you'd be with them, that you would uh, comfort them and give them safe travel. Father, we lift up uh, Brian Furches this morning, Lord, as he preaches out at Buffalo Baptist, and Lord, that you would give him great utterance uh, by your spirit to, to preach, and uh, Lord, that you would bring fruit from that. We thank you for our brother and that we have brothers that are able to be sent out from us, Lord, to to minister to other congregations. Father, we lift up Christ alone to you. We thank you for Pastor Tim, that you would continue to strengthen his body. Lord, as he uh, travels to uh, Florida for a conference this next week, that you give him safe travel and great encouragement, Lord, at the Founders Conference, uh, that you would just be with him. And Lord, we just thank you for him and Cindy and their faithfulness and, and right here at one year uh, celebration of what you have done at Christ alone. So we pray that you would continue to care for and and uphold that uh, precious church, Lord. Thank you now as we look to your word. Lord, we're desperate for you. Would you fill me? And uh, Lord, would you give us ears to hear uh, your word? And Lord, not just that we would uh, see your word um, exposed to us, but that we would uh, take it to heart and then obey it. And so we ask for your help in these ways. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, good morning. Looks like the wind blew you in, and so we're glad to have you this morning uh, on this cold January morning, and uh, hope that uh, you are doing well in the Lord. And I want to uh, read our passage for this morning. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 26, Genesis chapter 26, and would you stand with me as we read God's word together? We're going to read verses uh, 1 through 5. This is God's word. Now, there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you, and for you, or for to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will go or will give to you your offspring all of these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. This ends the reading of God's word. May you be seated. It's amazing how there's times in our lives where we experience something or uh, listen to something and we find the sense of deja vu. Has it ever happened to you? Like I've heard this before. I've, I've, I've been here. I've, I've, this is something that has happened. Uh, years ago, I was at the seminary at, at Southeastern and uh, heard a great message on Isaiah 6 on the holiness of God and uh, was a, a memorable sermon that uh, caused me to spend some time in prayer afterwards and to really um, reflect on the holiness of God from Isaiah 6. Well, just a few months later, I found myself in Alabama for a conference, and this same preacher was there, and as he opened his message, it was the same exact sermon um, that I had heard before. And it was this sense of deja vu, like, I've been here before, I've heard this before. And I quickly looked back through my notes to the last fall, and sure enough, this was the same sermon being delivered, and I had the privilege of hearing it a second time in a different state at a different conference from the same passage. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you're, you're trying to share something with me. There's a repetition here from what I'm hearing. But maybe you have seen that in your life, that God uses something over and over again to get your attention. Or maybe just that sense of, I've been here before, or I've heard this before. Well, the Lord does work by repetition, and this passage should remind us of such things. If you've been paying attention to our, our uh, journey here through Genesis it almost seems like Genesis chapter 26 is a repeat of exactly what Abraham went through in chapter 12 and later in chapter 20 concerning uh, this famine and how all these things were stacked against him in almost the same exact circumstances. As we look at our passage this morning, I want to simply look at this very fact uh, from the narrative here of Genesis that we'll see that there's very similar circumstances to what Isaac is wrestling with or facing that his father did, uh, Abraham, earlier in Genesis. 
And then we'll see that there's some similar conduct or the temptation to respond to these same circumstances in just a human way versus by faith, which uh, Isaac is challenged to. But then we'll also see that it's the same Lord, the same Christ that is calling him to look to the promises that God had given his father Abraham. And that he is the same God that's still accomplishing the same thing in him and through his generation. And then lastly, we'll see that this covenant that God made with Abraham is the same covenant that he's going to honor and will make application to us as well. That this passage speaks to us of our great God and his faithfulness to us and his covenant with us. And so we'll, we'll make some application at the end. Let's take a look here at, at verse 1. Notice that we have closed out chapter 25, that Esau and Jacob have come into focus, and that uh, the author Moses, uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is, is telling us the, the, the flow of history here. But then he comes back to Isaac. And I think this is interesting because over the course of uh, the history of Isaac, his... Uh, uh, time on the in the spotlight if you will in in chapter 26 and 27 is very small compared to the time that's given to abraham and also to jacob i think this is important to note because god is working in isaac's generation as well and we don't want to miss this that god is transferring again this same promise from abraham's generation into a new generation it's been said that the gospel is one generation from failing because God is empowering the church in every generation to preach it. Now, I don't say the failure in the sense that we know that God is going to accomplish his work. He's going to redeem, and that is certain. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it, Matthew 16 says. So we have that hope. But the issue of the reality that God is working in every generation, that we are called to faithfulness. And we do know in church history that there's some, been some generations that are more faithful than others. You consider, for instance, the generation of the Reformers and the bursting forth of Bible knowledge that has happened since then as opposed to the Dark Ages and uh, the Middle Ages in Europe. It's amazing to see how God works in time and space. But we also know that history seems sometimes to repeat itself as we see in this passage. And so here, this is what happens. We see now there was a famine in the land. We spoke of this back in chapter 12, that God brought a providential famine to Abraham in those days, as if he didn't need another test of his faith, to draw Abraham to himself. Isn't that true in our lives, that God uses providential circumstances to draw you and I to trust him more? You just have to live to realize he does this. Yeah, it might be uh, with a dead battery in a car. It might be something more serious like cancer or a death of a loved one or a challenge of some kind that God uses to not only get your attention, but these providential circumstances, he is using them to usher you into his presence to trust him more closely. And all of these circumstances always are temporary. But how often the, the shipwreck comes to our lives when we respond inappropriately to the circumstances that God has brought into our lives. And so there's a providential famine. Now notice uh, Moses' pen here, how he writes this. He says, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. 
it's very interesting in the context of the, the historical narrative that he would need to do this. But it's a way of reminder that the reader wouldn't be tempted to think it's the same because it's Isaac we're talking about, not Abraham. But he's acknowledging that these events that he's about to pen under the inspiration of the Spirit are extremely familiar. That you're not having deja vu as you read this. This is a new generation. It's a different occurrence than what happened with Abraham. And it says that it's different, or it's from the former famine that happened in the days of Abraham. And so it says, and Isaac goes up to, notice, Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. So it's very interesting. This is the probably not the same king as in the days of Abraham, but probably his son. Uh, Abimelech in Hebrew means uh, my, my father is king. Uh, Abi, you see that in any of your Hebrew words. You'll, you'll notice that this speaks of father. Uh, Abba, Father, if you see how Jesus uses that in the Greek, in the New Testament. And Melech is king. And so this literal king, or the king is my father, uh, is the one that we have seen, the same group of people which uh, came to be known as the Philistines. Yes, this is the same Philistines that will continue to grow along the uh, what is now uh, Gaza, actually, uh, in in ancient times, they were the sea people, and they uh, were very uh, wealthy uh, with trade from the sea, but they were also some of the first people groups in that area to uh, develop uh, iron tools and, um, and uh, weapons. And so they were very, a, a very mighty people. And as you know, in the life of David, that uh, the Philistines were uh, known for their armor and uh, also their giants. So they were kind of stacked um, uh, as far as the military power of that time. But it's in this context that there's this promise that has been given to Abraham and Isaac and will be Jacob, and they're in this land, the, the land that God promised, the, the land that God said will be yours, and yet they're surrounded by ungodly people. They're surrounded by... Uh, unhealthy culture. They're surrounded by uh, godless people. And yet, this promise has been given. And then to make matters worse, this famine has come. Have you ever found like when it rains, it really pours? That when you already feel like you're already at your brink, that God brings something else to load upon? And oftentimes we can be upset by these things, but Notice the loving hand of God is that when the pressure increases, God reminds us of his promises. And so we see similar circumstances in this text to Abraham, but we also see similar conduct. Watch what he does. What does Isaac do? He goes to Abimelech. Now, this is important to note that uh, Abimelech at, at Gerard, this is where uh, Abram had dwelt. It was um, there's a well there that was uh, uh, for safekeeping and being able to to draw from that well. But also Gerar is where uh, there was a friendship here with Abimelech, and usually the wise uh, or the wisdom of the land during famines was to head to Egypt. Trade was plentiful there. Food was plentiful, and you see this in the context of all of the Old Testament that Egypt was the place to go. 
They were organized. They, uh, for whatever reason, God was blessing their crops uh, for, for many generations um, in the Old Testament. And so in these providential circumstances, um, they're looking to, uh, he's looking to this king for wisdom. And so he goes there. So similar circumstances, similar conduct, but, but notice the joy here in verse 2 that God speaks. Isn't it in the darkest times of our lives that we are looking to the Lord and He is always there to speak comfort to us? And sometimes He doesn't give us the details we want or answer our prayers the way that we would like Him to answer them. But notice that the Lord understands the thoughts and intents that are going on here. And in verse 2, it says, The Lord appeared to him. Now, in your English Bibles, you'll notice here that uh, Lord is capitalized, L-O-R-D. That is the, the holy name of God, Yahweh, the covenant God. In other words, bringing attention to this is the same one who spoke to Abraham. And the Lord, it says, appeared to him, to Isaac. And God said, do not go down to Egypt. Very interesting because there's been times in the past where we see with Abraham that God did encourage him to go or allowed him to go. We know there's other times that he says don't go. He later in the life of Jacob when Joseph was brought to Egypt that Jacob was called to go to Egypt. But we also see in the Old Testament that Egypt is reminiscent of, uh, of, of the flesh or of what is natural to do. To rely on Egypt would be um, to not be relying up upon the Lord. And so God is telling him in the midst of a famine that humanly speaking it makes sense to go to Egypt and he says do not go down to Egypt. Do not. But he says dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Isn't it amazing that when we are lacking discernment that God loves us enough to speak to us and it's always in the context of his word he speaks we don't have to be trying to read the signs of the times or the famine or the weather he speaks and tells us what we ought to do and sometimes it's in the opposite direction that everyone else is going notice that it would make sense to go down to Egypt to find grain and to find crops but God says do not go but dwell in the land that I shall tell you and then he begins to repeat the not only that he is the same, excuse me, the same God of, of Abraham, but he starts to repeat the same promise. Look at verse 3. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. It's very interesting. It's in the context of a famine. And God doesn't even address the famine or where they're going to get food. He simply references himself. And that's a great truth for us this morning. That how often when we cry out to the Lord, the issues that come into our lives or the things that are important to us are simply things that God uses to bring us to himself and he answers about his sufficiency, about who he is, 
that his promises are trustworthy, that God is our greatest need. Even Jesus speaks to this, does he not, when he says that we should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? It's in the law. Jesus quoted it to Satan when Satan tempted him to turn stones to bread. Jesus' greatest need was not bread in that moment, but faithfulness to uh, Almighty God. And how much is that true of us, that when circumstances test us, that God is using those very circumstances to show us something about himself and that he is worthy, that he is trustworthy, that he is able to meet our needs and feeding us is the smallest of things, but our eternal deliverance is greater. And so he says, I'm going to do these things. Notice these I wills here. He re, uh, repeats the same promise. There's seven of them. Notice here, first of all, he says, I will be with you. What an amazing promise that God is with us. You see this throughout the Bible. Even Joshua later on in, in Israel's history says, if you don't go with us, then I'm not going. You have to go before us, Lord, that he's going to be with us. The great commission that we're to take the gospel to the nations, he says, for I am with you. The promise of the Holy Spirit in John 14, I will be with you. I will come to you. I will abide with you. The presence of God is promised to us as his people. There is no greater comfort than to know that God is with us, especially in hard circumstances. Aren't we tempted at times to think that God is not with us or that God has departed from us? Well, he says, I will be with you. It's the same covenant that he gave to Abraham. Secondly, he says, I'm going to bless you. Not just you, but also your offspring. This sense of blessing in the, the Abrahamic covenant was that this blessing would be above and beyond just the land and his generation. It would go on to bless them in multiple ways, not just numerically and genealogically, but ultimately that God would use this uh, family line to bless the world. And we know that, of course, as we looked at several weeks ago, this is the promise of the, the true hope to come, the true promised one, Christ. Thirdly, look at the end of verse 3. It says, I will give all these lands. So again, remember, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, as, as righteousness. And remember, he bought the land that was uh, where he would bury his bride. And so he uh, believed that God would ultimately give this land to him, that he's going to do this. He's going to give the very lands that are um, uh, here before Isaac, that he is going to do this. And then fourthly, at the end of verse 3, he says, I will, notice, establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. Well, the oath that ultimately God was going to work even in Isaac's generation, that God would do this. How often we're short-sighted, aren't we? We think that God uh, should accomplish something in our day, and how often we're short-sighted. It's been said oftentimes that we are good at sharing the gospel, but maybe not discipling as we ought to, because, again, there is the reality that Christ is and his return are imminent, but we ought to disciple our children as if the church will be here for another thousand years. 
There's a both and, not an either or. We're called to both. And yet God is working in establishing his oath that he had swore to Abraham and that he's going to use this in his generation. You ever realize that sometimes your influence can sprout seeds that maybe don't take fruit until after you're already gone? Weekly, I benefit from the words of people who have been in the grave and with Jesus for centuries. And you just think about that. The, the ministry of godly men are continuing in our lives, let alone the scriptures as we consider men that God redeemed. The lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as we're reading are bearing fruit in our lives. So he says, I'm going to establish this oath with you as I did with Abraham. Fifthly, look at verse 4. He says, I will multiply your offspring, Isaac's offspring, as the stars of heaven. So this goes back again to the same Abrahamic promise that when he took Abraham out to look at the stars and he spoke of the sand of the sea, that this would be his future generations. There's a, a, a reoccurrence of this promise to Isaac's ears. And why is that needed? Well, don't we all need this to be reminded of the truths of God's promises? We, we need this. We are forgetful people. How often we can just immediately forget what we've learned about the Lord in our present circumstances. And we fail him. Or like Peter, we're walking on water and have our eyes on Jesus and we believe that we can overcome all things because we're with Jesus. And then all of a sudden we're looking at the wind and the waves and we begin to sink. In his last reminder of the promise here at the end of verse 4, he says, I will give you or give your offspring to these lands. Not only is he going to create offspring, but he's going to give his offspring all these lands. It's really amazing to see how God answers here to the famine. He says there's speaking of famine and there's trouble. You have gone to Abimelech and we'll see how Isaac interacts with Abimelech later on in this uh, text in weeks, weeks ahead. But notice here that it's in this context of trouble and trial and famine that God just reminds him who he is. And sometimes it's all we need. God, I need you to help me with my work, and he just reminds us of who he is. Oh God, I need help with my marriage, and yet God reminds us of who he is. Oh God, help my, my child is sick, or my friend has cancer, and God just reminds us of who he is. Oh God, what am I going to do in the new year? Some of you students, as you graduate high school, Lord, what do you have next for me? College, what, what, is, what are you doing, Lord? Those who would seek a future spouse, oh God, how are you going to bring this person into my life? And the questions go on, and they're various and sundry ones for all of us in this room. But God just reminds us of who he is. He is the covenant-keeping God, but it's to a new generation. It's to a new generation here for Isaac. And Isaac is learning this great truth. But notice here, he swears to him and reminds him of what he is going to do. And then right here in, uh, at the end of uh, this text, in verse 5, he says, Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge... My commandments, my statutes, and my laws. 
It's very interesting. This is almost verbatim quote from Deuteronomy 11. Turn over to Deuteronomy 11. And why do I say that? Well, the same person that wrote Genesis wrote Deuteronomy, Moses. And Moses is making references to the law that hasn't even been given yet, if you notice. It's very interesting, this text, because it's speaking of Abraham's obedience to it. Go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Really quickly, it's a... The, this is after the tablets had been broken and the second form of tablets, the law, are given to the people uh, and um, uh, the, Israel's being corrected that God is uh, to be honored amongst them. And so in chapter 11 here, it's ultimately a focus on their affections for God and their service unto him. And it says this in uh, chapter 11, verse 1, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And he says, and consider today, since I'm not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, his signs, and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all of this land and what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, and how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them and pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, uh, the son of uh, Reuben, how the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and everything, that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work the Lord that he did. And so he is summing up really a, in a quick way all that had happened up to that point uh, with Israel. And so he's telling them that they ought to keep these commands. But it's the same lines there in verse 1 as we see um, in, in Genesis here. That Abraham, it was accounted to him as if he had obeyed all his law, although the law had not been given yet. So it's very interesting as, as Moses writes this out, that it's God's accomplishment through Abram's life that is continuing to Isaac. But one of the great blessings for us is we see that it's attributed to Abraham as obeying all of God's law. Don't miss that, because remember we looked a few weeks ago in uh, Hebrews 11, that it speaks of Abraham's faith. And it's by faith that he was justified. He was justified by his faith in the Lord. And we know that that was in complete uh, a contrast to the promise of a physical seed that would come through Isaac. And so why do I bring that up? Well, first of all, it's not just a genealogical thing, that the people of God are not just a genealogical people, but they are a people that God is birthing forth, and the main element of their future and of their present is faith in God's promises. We're going to see this in the life of Jacob. 
We saw what a swindler he is in the last passage. And yet God is going to work through the life of this very uh, evil and, and needful man for grace to use him in the future for God's redemptive purposes. And we see in contrast to that Esau, who God had not given um, his uh, love to or birthright to, that God would use him even with future nations, but in a physical way. But the faith of Abraham and the faith of Isaac is brought front and center here. That God is working. Abraham's strength was not what he did or didn't do. His strength was in the God who promised him. Isaac's hope was in the strength of all that God had promised him, and he was to put his faith there. Well, what does it mean to trust God like that? It means to believe that God is able to do what he promised. That he is able to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This should bring to memory our own situations. We are not able to deliver ourselves. In the context of all scripture, it tells us that we are sold under sin. That we are in bondage. That we, our default location is eternal judgment. And yet God in his great kindness, sent his son. Isn't it interesting that the, uh, attribu- the attribution of his obedience is what God brings to Isaac? In other words, it's almost like on a platter. Follow his example. Follow your father's example of trusting me and this promise that I'm reiterating to you. In other words, your father's obedience was past generation. You're now called to believe this same thing. And this is a message for our children. You can grow up in a gospel-preaching church. Your parents can love you and teach you the gospel, but your parents can't save you. You have to trust the Lord yourself. You have to take up the gospel and take it to a, a new generation. You have to believe the gospel for yourself, or you also will um, be judged. What, a, what an awesome truth here that while we are looking back, we're also looking forward. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments. But we've been studying Abraham's life. Did he do that perfectly? No. In fact, we see all kinds of a lack of faith. He went to Egypt and he lies about his wife, which we're going to see repeats as well in verse 6 and following in a few weeks. We're going to see that Abraham failed in many ways of trusting the Lord. He took Hagar um, as a handmaiden to produce what he thought would be his uh, future posterity. And God said, no, I'm going to work through Isaac. You, your own wife will bear you a son. So we see fleshly decisions all the way through, but attributed here is Abraham's obedience. And this should encourage us this morning Because in God's great kindness, he sent his son. And in the same way that Isaac was looking back on his father's obedience and his father's faith, and God calling him to take up the charge and the promise for his generation, so God reminds us that we have one that has run before us. Our Lord Jesus Christ has kept the law perfectly. There is no greater law keeper than Jesus himself. He lived a life that we could never live in obedience to God, always saying yes to God, never sinning. And yet he is the one who went to the cross willingly for you and for me because we are lawbreakers. And he not just lived a perfect sinless life, 
But that perfect, pure Lamb of God was a worthy sacrifice before God, an acceptable sacrifice that could do the great exchange, who could take our great sin upon Himself and in turn give us His righteousness. That His obedience is attributed to us as our obedience. His grace is sufficient for us. His innocence is now... uh, imputed to us that we now have this reconciled relationship with God because of the obedience of another this is the great exchange that he would take our sin and give us himself that he is enough so I don't know what your circumstances are I don't know what your famine is that has come into your life but God simply responds to our troubles with I am enough I am the promise keeping God and I am worthy of your worship. But it's not just that. It's his sense of taking Isaac's face and saying, look at me. What about the circumstances of your life right now? How have you started your race here in 2024? Are you looking with full assurance to God as your only confidence? I mean, there's all kinds of whispers going on in the world about an election year and the world in crisis and wars breaking out. Well, Jesus told us that these would all come. But he also told us to abide in him, to remain in him, to not worry, but to trust him. There's a way that we are so weird as uh, humans that are redeemed. We, We don't freak out the same way that others do. Why? Because we have a God who holds all things and has assured all things and the worst that can happen to us is we die. You're like, is that supposed to be encouraging? Yes. The worst thing that can happen to you is that you physically die. But we have a God who raises the dead. Our hope is not quenched. And so it's a hilarious existence as Isaac looks to this and sees that that there's these problems that, that he can't solve, but God can. And God reminds him of his covenant-keeping promises. So this morning, in what ways do you need to look at your similar circumstances as Abraham and Isaac experienced? What ways are you similarly responding to these circumstances the same way you always do? Are you trying to stuff the pain, hide the hurt, solve the stress in your own ways? All the while, Christ is reminding you that he is enough, that he is sufficient, that he has a new way if you would trust him and follow him. But it's also the same covenant. This covenant that we have is similar yet fulfilled in Christ. It was speaking of a greater covenant that while they spoke of a physical land that certainly came to pass and God's people dwelt there and God has unfolded the scriptures in that what we call the holy land. But it also says that through Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed. Well, what is that blessing speaking of? It's speaking of Christ, of his accomplished work that genealogically Jesus, yes, was in that line but his perfect obedience led to the cross and to what happened at the cross 
in his death and then after his resurrection enable many to be redeemed and to be sons of glory. And he's still doing that in our generation. And you know what's so amazing in this text is it's so personal to us as well is God is offering us that same opportunity to respond to his great truths. And that is, do you trust me? Do you believe that I am able to do for you what you cannot do for yourself? Can you trust me? And oftentimes we bow back in fear or in a lack of faith or some other excuse. And God is calling us to trust him. In what ways do you need to be reminded of God's promises? In what ways do you need to get more into God's word this year? This is how he speaks to us. This is He loves you. He's written this to you. He wants to reveal himself. He is not silent. And in what ways does God want you to reflect on the great work of Christ on your behalf? And so in the midst of a new year, be reminded that you are trusting a God who has gone before you, but has also faithfully blessed generations prior to us. And he's calling us to trust him fresh in a new year with all that he's seeking to accomplish in and through his people because he is able. And so the future of not only our lives, but this church, let alone this year, are not because of what we're able to do or how we've become better people. We're not. We're trusting that God is ultimately able to do what he's promised. And so his promise is to a new generation for Isaac. But he's also given that same promise to us, that he is able to keep us, save us, and use us. And let's be encouraged by that today, that while this seems to be deja vu of Abraham's life, it should be deja vu because he's doing it in ours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. Such a reminder to us that you are faithful, that your promises are always trustworthy. And how often it is that we can look at your word and you have condescended to us to give us a record of your faithfulness. And perhaps we're more accountable, Lord, having your word completed and before us and us being redeemed and sanctified by you. In this generation, we have more Christian resources than any previous generation. And God, we're humbled. We're humbled that you would be so kind to us. Oh God, would you hear a prayer from our hearts that you would help us to not waste our lives? Would you help us by your grace to be a generation that boldly lives and proclaims your word? Father, that you would spare us the very silly things that can happen in every generation that sideline us from taking the gospel further. That, Lord, you would guard us from petty arguments within Christendom when so many of our brethren are facing persecution and fronts are opening up for the gospel that um, we haven't seen in many, many years. Oh, God, would you make us humble people 
dependent people. And Lord, we can be assured that you are strong, that the God who saw Abraham and Isaac through their troubles and promised them, Lord, you are enough. You are on display. There's no one like you. And while Abraham and Isaac are great, important characters, they're not the main point of the text. You are. You are showing us your great and powerful and mighty ability to be for us what we cannot be. Father, would you meet our needs, answer our prayers as you mold and shape us for your glory and you apply this text in a variety of ways for wherever we're at and whatever we're going through. And may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.